Hi. Just uh, getting you to wait a bit, Ray. Um, Christy's got um, a story, testimony, we'd call it in Christian circles, of something that happened to her this week that was an answer to prayer. So, go on. <laughs> you got to speak into this lollipop. A bit on the spot now. Yeah. <laughs> I was... Um Oh, I lost my handbag when I went for a wee in the corner of the street, as you do. Um, <laughs> and I lost, I lost my handbag. And I was really upset about it because it had all my things in it and that. And then I come to church, asked, Dave prayed for me for not, to not lose my things and everything. And then I went to get my medication from the pharmacy and um, they said that someone found my handbag and handed it in at the this school, Discovery School. And it had all my things in it and everything. It was just really nice to get it back. So it was like God answered my prayers, isn't it? So yeah, it was nice. Yeah, it's a bit of a miracle, really, because I didn't think someone had all the things in it as well. So it's nice. Yeah, amen. Yeah, hallelujah. Yeah, it's nice. Thank you. <laughs> Great. I realise I've got this quite high. Is this okay for you, Ray? This. It. I'll adjust it for you if you need me. Is that okay? great let's pray for Rafe um, we believe in laying on hands and uh, I'm not going to invite you all out but if you could just sort of <laughs> extend a hand to Ray and uh, we'll pray for for him father thank you for all that you have done in Ray's life the way that you have shaped and formed his character the way that you have given him a, an amazing teaching gift to explain the Bible uh, in relevant and uh, interesting and challenging ways. And we want to pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give him everything he needs right now to proclaim your word with courage and boldness. Help us to be willing recipients of what you want to say to us. Thank you that you know every single person here. You know the struggles and battles and fears that they face. And we pray today that our hearts would be open to receive from you as Ray speaks to us. So bless him, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you very much. And thank you again, as usual, for your lovely welcome. We always feel at home when we come here. It's great to be worshipping with you and sharing from God's Word together. Before I get on to that, did you know today is a palindromic date? Yes. <coughs> oh, good. Uh, palindromic means you can read it backwards as well as forwards. So today is 02022020. Wow. Worth coming to hear that, wasn't it, really? Yeah. <laughs> so if you read it backwards, you get what? 02022020. Right, I just thought I'd mention that. Absolutely nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about. But uh, it was just an interesting thing. <clears throat> I'm glad uh, Dave prayed about courage today because I need a lot of courage to to preach this message because I have to be honest with you I bring a message today that's hard for me to preach and it will be hard for you to hear because it's so pointed and personal but it is a message that is absolutely life transforming I believe so let me start with a question which of the petitions in the Lord's Prayer, is the only one that comes with a condition attached. Which of the petitions in the Lord's Prayer 
is the only one that comes with a condition attached. So we're all going through it. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. As we forgive, um, forgive us, ah, as we those who trespass against us. So it's the, the request for forgiveness. Luke 11.4 says, Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And the New Living Translation puts it, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now, Jesus told a parable on this petition. And it's, well, all the parables are very important, but this is really, really important. And the parable that he used is called the parable of the unmerciful or unforgiving servant. And you'll find it in Matthew 18, 21 to 35. So if you've got your Bible, it would be a good idea if you turned there or you found it on your phone or whatever. I have to get used to this, people looking at their phones when I'm preaching. I think, all oh, right, okay. But uh, <laughs> they've actually got the, the uh, passage up in front of them, which is great. So we're going to break this parable down. And we're going to start just by looking at verses 21 to 22 to start with. So Matthew 18, 21 we're starting at. Okay, are we all there? Good. Then Peter came to Jesus. I'm reading from the latest version of the New International Version, but whatever version you've got, I'm sure you'll be able to follow it. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, you see, the rabbis taught the Jewish people that they had a duty to forgive their fellow Jews three times. They had a duty to forgive their fellow Jews three times. That's what the Jews were taught. Uh, forgiving Gentiles wasn't on the agenda, I have to say. It was just forgiving Jews, their fellow Jews. Now, the disciples have already heard Jesus say that more is required of his followers. So in Luke 17, 4, Jesus says to them, if he, your brother or sister, sins against you seven times in a day, I've never struck me before until I was reading it again recently, seven times in a day, not in a lifetime, in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive them. Forgive them. Now, Peter, you see, is really, really struggling with this. He's probably heard it a few days ago, and he's gone home and he's thought about it, and he's tossed around in bed thinking about this. And he's finding it really, really difficult to accept this. He's struggling with this idea, which is why here in verse 21, he raises the matter with Jesus. And it's kind of like him saying, Jesus, do I really have to forgive my brother as many as seven times? Maybe Peter's hoping that Jesus will think again and say, oh yeah, Peter, you're right, you know, I got that wrong, um, I'll change it. 
Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Imagine then the look of shock horror on Peter's face when Jesus says, in verse 22 there, not seven times, but 77 times. And that's the title of the parable, 77 times, in the book Pointed and Personal, I know many of you have got on your shelf. And it may be a good idea, when you've got one of those weeks in your small groups, when you're not sure what to do, why not pick up this parable? Because at the end of the chapter, there are lots of questions for discussion, and there are things to reflect on, which I'll come back to later. I've only got one copy of this left, by the way, so if you want one and you haven't got one, go through all the parables of Jesus, explaining them all in the way I'm doing today. So come and see me. I can get some more if there's more than one person wants one. Anyway, moving on. So what does this mean? It means that forgiving has no limits. This is what Jesus is saying. It never comes to an end. So it's no good going home and drawing up a wall chart and putting Bray Markham at the top and drawing 77 spaces. And every time you have to forgive me, you tick one off. You know? So you, at the end, you get to 77, you think, well, he's had his lot now. I've done what Jesus says. No, this is to misunderstand it. Jesus doesn't mean 77 times. Literally, he means keep on forgiving. Always forgive. Now, Jesus deliberately uses seven times and juxtaposes it with 77 times. And he does it for a particular reason. Because what he's doing is referring back to what was said in the Old Testament, back in Genesis 4.24. And there you have a man called Lamech. Now, Lamech was a descendant of Cain. And this is quoted here where Lamech says, and the context here is not forgiveness, the context in which he spoke this was vengeance. And he says, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, 77 times. So you can see what Jesus is doing. He's picking this up and he's saying, this is now, I'm changing this. Vengeance is not something that should be on your mind. It should be forgiveness. Lamech, you see, is saying, if you think Cain was, a, was vengeful, you ain't seen nothing yet. If you cross me, you'll find different. That's what Lamech's saying. It's kind of a, thought he was a tough guy, you know. But Jesus takes that and says, no, the desire for vengeance that we feel when we've been wronged, anybody here been wronged? Right, okay. When you're wronged, what's the feeling that comes up inside you? Uh, maybe in the words of Richard Nixon, it's, don't get mad, get even. There's that sort of thing about vengeance. You know, we want to get our own back. That's how we feel as human beings, isn't it? But Jesus is saying that the desire for vengeance that we feel when we've been wronged is to be replaced by the willingness to show mercy and forgiveness instead. And this parable shows that it's what God expects of all those of us who now belong to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew calls it. And that's why he starts the parable in the next verse 23 with the words, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like. 
the kingdom of heaven is like. And the parable that Jesus goes on to tell has four scenes in the parable. Scene one is verses 23 to 27, and I've entitled it, The Debt Cancelled. So let's read that. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to, to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. So that, that's some debt, don't you think? 10,000 bags of gold? Going on, verse 25. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. This guy's got absolutely no chance of paying off these debts. So he to be sold into slavery with his family. You see what he does? He pleads for mercy and patience and he promises to repay. And the king is moved. The king is moved by his appeal. And so he cancels the debt completely and lets him go. So here we see from the king, compassion and forgiveness acting in tandem. Compassion and forgiveness acting together, which is exactly what God expects of us as his disciples. And to me, this is a very poignant picture of our position before God. Because you see, we can't pay off our debt of sinfulness. There's nothing we could do, there's nothing that we can offer, there's nothing that we can bring that can pay for the wrongs that we have done. The debt has to be cancelled by the king himself. And we know that Jesus died on the cross to pay that debt, paid my debt, paid yours, making God's forgiveness possible. And when we respond to that, and when we repent, the debt of our sin is cancelled like it was here in the story, and we're released from its consequences. So that's scene one, where the debt is cancelled. Now we come to scene two, verses 28 to 30 in the story, where the debt is demanded. So let's go on in the story that Jesus tells. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, which is like saying, not a lot. Certainly not a lot as compared to all those bags of gold that he owed the king. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. So here we have this same servant who's just been forgiven this massive debt 
and he goes out and he physically assaults a fellow servant who owes him a small amount. What a contrast. What a contrast we're seeing in this guy, aren't we? What a contrast to the humble, self-abasing servant we saw in the previous scene. Now we're seeing him in his true colours, aren't we? Now we're seeing him in his true colours. You see, being forgiven has had no impact at all on him. It's had no impact on his dealings with others. It's had no impact on his attitude towards them. He grabs and he chokes. Pay me back what you owe me. He snarls. Now notice the words that the fellow servant used in reply. Did you pick that up? They are virtually identical to those spoken earlier by the servant to the king, back in verse 26. Almost word for word, be patient with me and I will pay you back. And he's on his knees in just the same way. What a contrast Jesus is drawing here between his response, the servant, and the response of the king. So now we come to scene three, which I had up the discussion. Verse 31. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. So he's seen by the other servants and I imagine them getting their heads together and discussing their options about what they just witnessed. Either we'll ignore him. It's it's none of our business. You don't grass on him. You know what he's like. We'll just keep quiet. We'll pretend we didn't see. Or they go and tell the king. Which are they going to do? And courageously they decide to do what is right. And it's difficult at times to follow their example, isn't it? It's difficult at times to follow their example, to stand up for what's right and to take the consequences. Which brings us to scene four. So having had the debt, the discussion, we now have the denouement of the whole thing. Verse 32, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. So the unmerciful, the unforgiving servant gets his comeuppance. The king spells out the man's offence. Having been forgiven his debt, he's failed to show similar mercy to his fellow man. And he receives a worse punishment than before. So let's consider the meaning of this and the application of it in a bit more detail. I wonder what the crowd reaction was. The people that heard Jesus telling this parable. I wonder what their reaction to this was. I imagine it was, ha, serves him right. He got what he deserved. But you see, the sting of this parable 
is yet to come. The sting is in the tail. The sting is in verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. We've been warned, not forgiving has serious consequences. So Jesus, through this story, sucks the people in to make the verdict. They pass the verdict on the servant and then Jesus says, actually, you know, this is about you. You need to forgive. So does this mean then that God won't forgive us until we forgive others? Is that what it means? Well, no, obviously not, because that would make our salvation depend on what we do. And of course it's not. Remind yourself of Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. Salvation is the gift of God. It's not a reward for doing the right thing. In this dramatic way, you see, Jesus is emphasising what God expects of us. That is, that we show an attitude of forgiveness at all times. Martin Luther King said, and I quote, Forgiveness is not an occasional act, it is a permanent attitude. Forgiveness is not an occasional act, it is a permanent attitude. You see, the genuineness of our repentance when we come to faith in Christ and we repent of our sinfulness, the genuineness of that is shown by our subsequent conduct of which forgiving others is a part. In other words, if I am not prepared to forgive, then I've got to question whether my repentance was in fact genuine. Forgiveness is to be our permanent attitude. And forgiveness, in verse 35, tells us, forgiveness is to come from where? It is to come from your heart. It is to come from your heart. In other words, it's to come from the very depth of our being, showing that we really mean what we're saying. We're not just saying, oh, I forgive you, but really we don't. Didn't say, I forgive you from your mouth, because words are easy, aren't they? Words are easy. How many times do we say things, but we don't actually mean them? But this is to come from our heart. We've really got to mean it from the depth of our being. Paul says in Colossians 3.13, and I quote, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Our forgiveness is to be like Christ's forgiveness, genuine and unconditional. That's Christ's love and forgiveness towards us, isn't it? Genuine and unconditional. Not like the man who lay on his deathbed, harassed by fear because he'd harboured hatred against another person. So he sent for that individual who he'd had a disagreement with years before. And then he made overtures of peace to him on his deathbed. And the two of them shook hands in friendship. But as the visitor left the room, the sick man roused himself and said, Remember... If I get over this, the old quarrel stands. No, it's not forgiveness. 
Our forgiveness is to be genuine and unconditional like that of Christ. Jesus forgave when he was despised and rejected, as Isaiah puts it in 53 verse 3. He forgave when he was despised and rejected and so must we. There's a story told of how Louis XII of France treated his enemies after he ascended to the throne. Before coming to power, he'd been thrown into prison and kept in chains. Later, when he did become king, he was urged to seek revenge, but he refused. Instead, he prepared a scroll on which he listed all who had perpetrated crimes against him. Behind every man's name, he placed a cross in red ink. When the guilty heard about this, they feared for their lives and fled. Then the king explained, The cross which I drew beside each name was not a sign of punishment, but a pledge of forgiveness, extended for the sake of the crucified Saviour, who upon his cross forgave his enemies and prayed for them. Now I'm not saying this morning, this is why this is hard to preach and it's hard to hear, I'm not saying that forgiving, forgiving others is easy. It's anything but. This is tough stuff. And you know the parables are tough stuff when we really apply them into our lives. It's hard to forgive when we've been hurt. I can't find anybody who finds it easy to forgive when they've been hurt. C.S. Lewis wrote, and I love this, we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. We all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. How true that is. And, you know, we often justify our own forgiveness, don't you? If you're anything like me, anyway. You don't know what he did. You didn't hear what she said. Indignation. Action replays. There I am wrong. Now, in my experience, usually there is fault on both sides. And the longer it goes on, the more difficult it becomes to resolve. Have you found that? The longer it goes on, the more difficult it becomes to resolve. Now, Paul is unequivocal. He writes to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verses 31 to 32, and I quote, Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all bitterness. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ in God forgave you. That's the quote. You've been forgiven by God. Do you ever stop to think what that cost Jesus? Do you ever think to, uh, stop to think how much you've been forgiven? Kind of puts our forgiveness issues into perspective, doesn't it? This beautiful idea must be put into practice. We must apply it in our lives in the most rigorous way possible. When you hear those words, get rid, what does it mean to you? It means to me being drastic. 
I'm going to get rid of something, I don't know if your house gets cluttered up with stuff. When we decided to move, we had to clear out our loft. There was a lot of stuff to clear. There was a lot of stuff to get rid of. We had to take drastic action to do it. And we had to take the initiative to do it. It wasn't going to do itself. We had to get rid of the stuff. So getting rid means being drastic with any feelings of bitterness and resentment. And getting rid implies taking the initiative to put things right with the person concerned. In other words, to be reconciled to them. Paul talks a lot about reconciliation. Jesus also said, Mark eleven twenty-five to 26, and I quote, Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. And that is also set within the context of worship. And secondly, Matthew 5, 24, Jesus says, be reconciled to your brother or sister. Be reconciled to your brother or sister. Don't paper over the cracks. Don't present, pretend it isn't there. Be reconciled. The implication being that many of our prayers are not answered because we're harbouring unforgiveness in our hearts. The implication being that we feel not in contact with God because there's unforgiveness in our hearts. So in Hughes, who wrote the Everyday with Jesus series that I know some of you use, he said this, and I'm quoting, forgiveness is the biggest issue I have had to deal with in my own life And also I have found it to be one of the major problems in the lives of God's people. That was his experience. Also, our personal spiritual development and God being able to use us can be seriously affected by unforgiveness. Why isn't God using me? Maybe it's to do with unforgiveness. I'm not saying it is all the time, but maybe. We need to check it out. Our spiritual development. Are we further on with God than we used to be? Well, maybe we're not because we've got this blockage in our lives. Now let's get this next point very clear. Forgiveness is not to do with your emotions. Forgiveness is an act of the will. Forgiveness is an act of the will, not of the emotions. Feelings Don't enter into it. If we were to wait until we felt like forgiving somebody, would it ever happen? I doubt it. We never feel like forgiving people. For example, did the Reverend Michael Sayward feel like forgiving the men who broke into their home, robbing and beating them and raping his daughter? Did Gordon Wilson, whose daughter died, of wounds received in a bomb blast in Enniskill in Northern Ireland, did he feel like forgiving the terrorists who were responsible? Yet both of them did so publicly in the national media. Ask yourself this. Who actually suffers as a result of my unforgiveness? Who actually suffers as a result of my unforgiveness? The answer is, only me. The other person 
doesn't suffer at all. It's me who finishes up all bitter and twisted inside. Forgive, unforgiveness erects barriers. Forgiveness breaks down barriers. And you know there's tremendous power in forgiving love. Why is God so insistent that we forgive? Why? Why is God so insistent that we forgive? Why does Jesus talk about this subject in such a strong and severe way? The answer is because he loves you. He loves us. And he knows that forgiveness is essential for our welfare. It's essential for our growth in God. It's essential for our well-being. And it's essential for our spiritual progress. Because, you see, it affects us. It affects us physically, mentally, emotionally and spiritually. You know, forgiveness can even bring healing to the body. Gordon Wright, used in healing ministry in many years, writes as follows, quote, If my years in the healing ministry have taught me one thing more than another, it is that nothing contributes more to sickness than resentment and to healing more than to forgive and forget. That's Gordon Wright of his years of experience. Paul writes in Philippians 3, 13 to 14, about it being important to forgive and move on in our lives without looking back. Paul says, forgetting what is behind. I press on. Paul had got a lot behind to forget. You think of all those Christians he'd had killed. He'd rounded them up, he'd persecuted them, he'd had them thrown into prison and he'd had many of them put to death. He even stood there while Stephen was stoned to death and rejoiced. Now don't you think he would find that extremely difficult to sort out? And yet the people in the churches were prepared to forgive him and he needed to put it behind. And I'm sure that's what he had in mind when he said, forgetting what is behind, I press on. And you know, forgiveness not only can bring healing to the body, but it brings release to the soul. You may have heard the story of Corrie ten Boom. Corrie ten Boom uh, lived in Holland and during the Second World War, she and her sister had a secret room built in their house in which they hid Jews who were being persecuted by the Nazis. And at one time, eventually, they were discovered. And she and her sister Betsy were sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp. And this is what she writes. Years after her concentration camp experiences in Nazi Germany, she met face-to-face one of the most cruel and heartless German guards that she had ever contacted. He had humiliated and degraded her and her sister. He had jeered and visually raped them as they stood in the delousing shower. Now he stood before her with hand outstretched and said, Will you forgive me? She wrote, I stood there with coldness 
clutching at my heart. But I know that the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. I prayed, Jesus, help me. Woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me and I experienced an incredible thing. The current started in my shoulder. It raced down into my arms and sprang into our clutched hands. Then this warm reconciliation seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother! I cried with my whole heart. For a moment we grasped each other's hands, the former guard, the former prisoner. I have never known the love of God so intensely as I did at that moment. I think that wonderfully illustrates Corrie had to put out her hand and take the other guy's hand before she felt this wonderful empowering by the Spirit of God enabling her to do that. As Lewis Smedes wrote, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner was you. Maybe as a result of what you've heard this morning, you need to take this to heart. I need to take this to heart. And I need to ask myself about unforgiveness and bitterness in my life. And I need to take on what God is saying. You know, this is how your Father will, Heavenly Father will treat you if you have unforgiveness in your heart. Perhaps I need to go home and make a phone call, write an email, send a letter, make contact somehow with something that's been festering in my life, in my family, with someone for years. I need to tackle it. God needs you to tackle it. To put it into practice. To do it. When I first became aware in, in Sheila's family, uh, many, many years ago now, um, I was soon made aware that there was actually a bit of a feud in the family between two people. And it had been going on for years over something that you would re think was reasonably trivial. But the one wouldn't speak to the other, which could get quite difficult in family gatherings. There was the unforgiveness. It, it affected the whole family. It affected the whole atmosphere. I'm the prisoner if I'm resentful and bitter. I need to forgive, like Corrie ten Boom, and to experience the wonder of God's response to me being obedient to him. At the end of the um, chapter on this, in Pointed and Personal, it asks, what have I learned from this parable about forgiveness? What in particular have I found challenging? What do I find the most difficult thing about forgiving? What do I need to do about this? 
Is there someone I am unwilling to forgive? How and why am I justifying this to myself? Is there any bitterness or resentment in my life at the moment towards anyone? How can I get rid of this? Have I wronged someone and need to take the initiative to sort the situation out? How approachable am I when people who have wronged me want to put things right? When thinking about the wrongs done to me, do I ever stop to consider the enormity of my sin against God? Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to me so well about such a difficult subject. And now I just hand it over, each one of us, over to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you see the hearts of each one of us. You don't see the act that sometimes we put on. You see the heart. You know what's going on in our lives. And Lord, you know that we find this whole subject very difficult. But Lord, we pray that we might respond to your word this morning, that we might have the courage to move into a situation where we want reconciliation where we want to express and to give our forgiveness, that relationships might be restored, because, Lord, we know that this is what you want us to do. Irrespective of the other person's reaction, we need to offer forgiveness. And so, Lord, we just ask that you will help us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the, uh, the examples that we've heard this morning about Corrie ten Boom and how you, Lord, you just wonderfully enabled her And I just pray, Lord, that as we step out and we take the initiative, that you will empower us and we will know your compassion flowing through us as we seek to do what is right and according to your word. For we ask it in your precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. The, uh, the band are going to come back and uh, offer us a, a final song.